Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrew, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Nick Hare, Peter Coghill and Chris Ragg of Aleph Insights. And this week we're discussing technologies that never fully take off. And due to the lockdown, unusually, we're recording this remotely. Chris, why is this on your mind? Talk to me. Well, we, we've recently been involved in a, a project looking at um, emerging technologies. In fact, mm-hmm. we've got a few few projects related to emerging technologies. And uh, one of the things that occurred to me as we were going through this is as I was looking back at historic um, information about technologies emerging, mm. is that some technologies keep cropping up as being the perennial emerging technologies that are going to disrupt everything you know so for you know for decades they have been about to transform the way society uh, operates and so on Um, and then there are other technologies which are truly disruptive and you know kind of very quickly shake up uh, the way we we do things so I I mean I know we have talked previously about um, uh, virtual reality before and we're not going to go into the, the details of virtual reality but but virtual reality is a classic that has been, you know, going to be transformative any any minute now or any any half century now. Um, mm. So you know, it, if you look back to, um, you know, when the the sort of first kind of head mounted display things were being were being developed, you know, in the late sixties maybe, but mm. but really they came to popular attention in the in the 90s with them being brought into video arcades and things you could go and sit in a a, a vr machine it it was so long ago that i remember seeing kenny everett talking about uh right reality precisely right and and the i mean you know lawnmower man right the 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 film which was showing how you know in the near future um things would be transformed was 1992 i think so um uh, yeah and, and there are other technologies crop up like this you know here here we are now sort of a few decades later and virtual reality which are you know has has developed a bit but it's still crap and not really very useful for for all but a very few little niche use cases um and there are other there are other things that i've been hearing people talk about how in three years four years time we're all going to be uh doing things you know things like um uh blockchains you know internet of things autonomous cars all of these kinds of things which may or may not emerge you know but they're certainly not emerging at the, at the rate at which anybody uh proposed a while ago okay so immediately this springs to mind first of all i thought i thought, I thought virtual reality was still a, a thing that was going to be big and i yeah um may well be yeah and i thought internet of things was right now as well um but i've got a question but peter before i i mean have you got something you want to say before i ask my question or well, is I, it really I'm a question gonna, i'm going to take issue because uh, okay. i think these things that, it, all these things that chris have mentioned have really taken off ah. um so i've got some i've got some figures right um so virtual reality and augmented reality um an estimate in uh, a, a research, uh, market research from eMarketer, which is a sort of online independent publisher. Um, 13%. They're not a manufacturer of, of virtual reality kits, are they? No, they're not. No. Oh, okay. 13% of the US population have used v- VR in 2019. That's 
not bad considering email is at 50 percent um, just what, out of interest does it do you have details on in what manner they've used it is it just what, entertainment or anything else entertainment mainly okay. um block block blockchain uh the uh global blockchain technology market is estimated to be uh one and a half thousand million dollars a year so 1.5 billion dollars a year um and is is growing year on year 69 percent i still don't want to understand what blockchain is so but let's not go let's, down that rabbit hole do that another time going, peter yeah. uh, driven mainly by finance and uh, government and healthcare applications mm. um internet of things uh 2020 is market is estimated to be uh around 250 billion dollars uh rising a similar rate uh to blockchain in terms of growth rate per year so these things are massive they're out there and um lots of people are using them so so in terms of their uptake yes what i think what, what i think chris is getting at though is the degree to which they've been transformational and made massive waves in people's day-to-day -day lives that's where there seems to be a slight discrepancy. Now, if you, the, the, the literature, apart from the particularly hypey literature around virtual reality, say, is, is more muted than it perhaps was in the early 90s or early 2000s. It's not promising to change the world anymore. But what it is promising to do is be transformational in fairly niche, uh, specific use cases. Yeah, and and I think I think I think Peter's right. You know, so so what I'm what I'm sort of saying is that they're you know if you look at um, smartphones, right? So so there there is a technology which has undoubtedly changed the world, right? You know, I mean, and, and so the first kind of you know the proto smartphone, you know, arguably is is was IBM Simon, uh, which combined like a touchscreen PDA and a and a phone in the early nineties, right? here we are 25 years later and like the the whole the whole world has changed completely as a result of that technology the internet right another another good example you know a, a, a sort of workable prototype you know arpanet being developed late 60s you know there may have been precursors to that but you know by the by the kind of late 90s it had been massively trans transformational and has and has continued to be so. So, but so those are ones I'll give you those. You know, they were they were proper technologies. It's just there's there's a load of other stuff that has been talked about in the same circles as those technologies that has made has either been sort of you know we've decided that it's really not worth bothering with anymore, or it's had like a tiny little effect for some random little um, group of users over in a corner somewhere. Nick? I think there's a couple of things we're talking about here. Uh, one is um, technologies that, for reasons of other technologies not being good enough, are just not ready to, to work yet, right? So, and, and I think, you know, the problem is that, v and, and you could say that the the internet was one of those. I mean, you you know, the the... Internet didn't really get going till broadband. You know, all of the things that people use the internet for now, e.g., watching films um, and YouTube and, and uh, social media, remotely. exactly, completely impossible. You know, twenty years ago, because you, you can't do any of those things. All you could do was look at sort of static web pages. Um, 
And so, you know, the internet probably, and, and I guess it's probably the same with mobile phones. I mean, without without some number of Gs, and I'm not sure how many Gs that is, but without some number of Gs, most of the things that people use um, smartphones for would be impossible. So, um, you know, I think that, and it's and it's plausible to me, and I want to be a VR skeptic, and I'll tell you why in a sec. But it's plausible to me that VR's time is 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 only now coming because only now do we have the sorts of processing speeds that you that are required to make VR actually genuinely immersive. Yeah. You know, I remember seeing VR. Um, there was actually in Covent Garden where where I you know used to hang out after school uh, when I was a kid. Um, there was a booth for some time where you could you could play a virtual reality game and you put the helmet on and you were like a kind of 3D polygon guy in a 3D polygon world. And um, it never looked to me, you could see what the person was doing on this screen and it never looked to me like they had a clue what was going on. And I think that's to do with all sorts of things, lag probably primarily um, and, and probably insufficiently accurate sensors and so on. So... You know, I think I think it strikes me that that you know VR could well be like that, and 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 I, I it's too early to say. But but on yeah. the other hand, but it but we the thing is that we don't know, and so I would argue that you don't know until a technology has actually been realised in the form that it's meant to that it's sort of the idealised form, <clears throat> i.e., it's done properly. It's as good as it's going to get. You don't really know until then what people actually want. And how people are going to use things. It's very, mm. very hard to predict in advance. And I, and I think things like, I mean, uh, 3D cinema, which is not quite not quite VR, right? It's not the same thing. But it's a similar thing um, it, in that, you know, it, it's, it's, it sort of feels like an obvious improvement to 2D cinema. And yet for decades and decades, you know, people have tried to introduce it and people don't like it. It just isn't popular. And I think often for, for similar reasons, you can think about VR and go, um, oh, imagine watching a film in VR. Well, no, I don't want that. Right. Because I want the director to tell me what I should be looking at, for example. I don't I don't want to be looking around. I don't want to control what I'm seeing. VR really only has an application for entertainment in a kind of, you know, for games um, and for some sort of niche interactive types of types of experience. Uh, there's a, a, but even though you sort of think the in, your instinct is to say, uh, imagine imagine what VR could do for watching telly or watching films. But actually, when you when you when you give people that opportunity, I They'd rather just watch what what someone else wants them to see, you know, because yeah. that's just a better experience. Um, Chris, yeah, no, I was just going to say, I think the the interesting thing about you know enabling technologies, then allowing a, a you know the main technology to to reach its its kind of um, its ideal form. I think I think in part though, you know, would would there have been a drive for for broadband if the internet hadn't obviously been brilliant and been you know bringing all of these um uh, services to us and and people are like oh i can get video but it's not very good we need more you know capacity we need more bandwidth L likewise uh you know with um uh with mobile phones again you know the the, the device or the technology itself created the demand for the infrastructure to support it because it was good even when it was crap um, and and that's what you know. That's where I feel with with virtual reality. I'm I'm sort of like if there were if there were an obvious demand for it, we would have been making all the things that would have enabled it to be good. 
uh, by now. But, but Chris, that just makes me think something. I think the attraction of something like virtual reality is, as I perceive it, the ability to be transported physically um, to other worlds, let's say. And so one minute you can be skiing down, you know, the crest to run, whatever, and, and then transported magically to the, to the tropics and then, you know, and then dancing in carnival and then going off and spending a, a great night with a load of showgirls or something. Um, that's the attraction. But you can't actually do that because physically you won't actually feel anything. It's still all quite mental. It's a sensory thing is, is lacking. So I think what you're saying is that, well, the other stuff, would the other technologies to make it work would catch up. Um, but I think there's definitely appeal there. And I just didn't think that technology is not technologically, it's not possible. And sorry, but, I'm not going to give you, you mean, a... but, it, but it sounds nice, but, but what are you, are you actually in real life going to spend a whole evening doing that? No, you won't. You'll do it yeah. once. You'll get, right. the, get the VR thing and you'll yeah, go, oh, this is fun. I don't know. I think, I think I want to hear from Peter. Yeah. So, to, 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 two things I want to cover now. So to, mm. to answer Sorry. Nick's point that you're, you you do not want to watch movies in VR. I think that's true for movies that are made, how they're currently made. So when you try to introduce 3D TVs and 3D cinema, you you impose a new technology on a tradition and not really alter the way that production happens. So if you took if you could reinvent the way movies are made in and give the director the sort of freedom of the technology, the capability and the technology, but also the audiences the capacity for high quality headsets and everything, you could invent a whole new type of movie that is yeah, you, you invent a new thing that's not a, no, and that's yeah. that's you're claiming this and i'm i'm saying i'm saying that you can't why can't you like why we we, we do it we did it with movies saying we're going to invent a whole new type of narrative or something no, when, no but i think no, peter's when right moving, when moving picture came along that was a whole new way of doing okay, storytelling yeah but wait hold on listen Nick, nice, because it's not like, Peter's right, because it's not like um, someone goes, hey, I've got this idea, we can put stuff on the screen, no, no, and no, no, no. we can see them, people go, but that's not no, the theatre, that's film rubbish. Is just, film is just uh, it's slightly, I mean, yeah, yeah, but but the thing is that the, the, the if you look at a theatre or a film or a book, there is no interactivity there, right, in terms of the story. You are being given the story. That is how people like to consume stories, and... And the the idea, like interactive fiction, has never taken off, right? People don't like it as much as they like. Um, now I read all the fighting fantasy books when I was a kid, so I I really mm. enjoyed them. But you know, interactive inter people people either want to play a game or they want to you know watch a film. Now Peter's like, made this like assumption. Peter's made this assumption that fiction. yeah. But your, Peter's made this assumption that you can invent a new art form that will somehow deliver it to us through VR. And what I'm saying is it, that might be true, but you can't just assume it's true. No, no, it, it, not, it no, might I'm, turn I'm, out. No, I'm it not, might not, turn out that you can't. No, I'm not saying a whole new art form. I'm saying a whole new way of making movies. So well, if you, uh, had, I'm if saying you had a non-interactive movie. Maybe that doesn't exist. You're assuming that exists. No, I'm, I'm, saying, I'm, I'm, saying that, I'm saying it gives you the capability to make it, which you can't have. Okay, but what I'm saying is people don't want to experience films like that, or at least it's. I strongly believe that they don't. And and it, even if you look, take Bandersnatch, the the interactive like that's something you can do. You can you can give people the choice of endings in a yeah, in a in that's a drama. Interactive. Right? I'm not talking about interactive. I'm talking about but you are casting. because you're 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 giving people no, certain I'm... choice about what how they're experiencing yeah, what the they film. Look at. Yeah. So they, so I can imagine the movies where. It's intrigue movies and sort of uh, um, in, 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 uh, like um, 
uh, criminal investigation movies and crime crime movies where you are kind of immersed in the three-dimensional world. Now, you are led around by wherever the action is taking you, different locations and different scenes. But I can imagine that a contiguous space that you move, so each scene, you don't cut to scenes, you physically move between scenes. And at that time, there's conversation going on with, with, the, with the characters and things. I can imagine that as a type of, as a sort of genre of movie to be quite interesting and entertaining. And depending on where you are currently looking, you pick up more or less clues about what's yeah, going on. Yeah, but that isn't going to become mainstream. That's Wait, hold on, hold on, gonna hold on, hold on, hold on. How do you know? Hold How on, we're getting know? by analogy with all the other things that could that could give people control over their uh, the experience they're having, and they don't want it. People don't choose to consume entertainment in that. Way. Hold on, hold on. Right, let's pause for a moment, okay? Because I want to hear from Chris at some point soonish. There's a second point from Peter that I want to hear, but also just to round things off. Um, I mean, I think you're just just to say it. I think you're just being too um, restrictive about. No, just about, re- let me speak. I'm talking about let data, me speak. the data, the let, history let, of no, entertainment. No, 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 Backs no, up no, what no. I'm saying. No, 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 no. Let me speak because it's. I think you're being too restrictive because uh, while you've got a point by by saying people don't want their films or their stories to be interactive as such, there is plenty of evidence to say that people like role-playing, they like they like games, they like experiential experiential sort of stuff as well. And I think there's plenty of opportunity for something like that in virtual reality if you can get the technology mm-hmm. right. Anyway, and I, I want to hear, the, I think, I think the, Peter had a second point, and then yeah, let's come just, back to just Chris. Just to round it off, the, 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 the uh, gaming market is, is growing faster than traditional movies and uh, television mm. market. I think I think that's because it's stealing parts of their parts some of their chips. So people there is people do want um, interactive storytelling, which is what gaming kind of yeah. Is. I accept that totally. Accept that. Yeah. But but yeah, that, I mean so, so. that is that is that is an existing uh, you know a th- millennia old activity that is, you know, instantiated in, in, in a new form of technology. So I, t- I totally yeah, agree. You have I'm, new genres which you can't achieve with, uh, with, because of the technology that you've got. Yeah, but I mean, also something like virtual reality can take it to a whole other level and make it, the popularity suddenly I, eclipses I, films or things like I, that. I, yeah, I, I want to yeah. make a more general point. Okay, you make your general point, and then I want to hear from Chris because I've not heard it from, from, from Okay, well, it's just, it's just, and I think I, I've actually got, I've gathered a, quite a few examples of... Um, of technologies that failed and tried to classify why they failed. Right. Um, but I, I, which we can talk about, but um, in general, my general observation is that the reason that these technologies fail is because people don't actually know what aspects of a product or service or good are actually adding value and why they like it. Right. And I'll give you two examples. Um, so uh, one is um, uh well, one is computer games. Like for years, people invested in um, you know making better and better graphics. And actually, if you look at the kinds of games which are very popular on Steam at the moment, uh, there's a lot of, and particularly take the take in the lockdown type situation, is there's a lot of quite simple multiplayer party type games which are which are which are massively popular. And and there's a whole you know a, a, swathes of games now which have sort of retro graphics and actually it turns out that the gameplay and the story and the characters that are in a game um, are more important than people thought and the graphics are less important the other example i would give you is 
is ebooks, which uh, so sales of e-readers have now been declining for some time. And I have never got on with them. I, I had one that Peter gave me, which I never looked at. Um, and, and I just cannot get off books. Books are really good. And the part of the reason that they're good is, is, is a, a thing that you wouldn't expect. It's not core to the concept of a book, but it's something to do with the physicality of the book, which turns out to be very important when you're reading. And, um, and the portability and, and other things like not having to recharge it. So the fact that you can instantly grab a book and start reading and not, for example, grab a book and discover it's run out of batteries. All these things are not things you would necessarily, and certainly a technologist wouldn't look There's at them and go. Nothing, nothing yeah. to do with technology. So, so what I'm what I'm saying is about these. Uh, well, it is. It's sort of somehow involved in the instantiation of that technology. But all, all I'm saying is that you know pr you can't predict. We don't know in advance until people are offered an alternative what aspects of a particular experience or technology they really like, and which are mm. core, and which things turn out to be peripheral, and you can sweep away and change. That's all. So I mean, I, that's why that's why I'm saying that Peter's making this assumption that VR will find a place in in sort of um, films, but it's not to me a given, you know. So yeah, there we are. Mm. So I mean, just on I the issue of games, for example, yeah. one Go thing on. VR might not be able to do is replicate a physicality of experience in the same way that a computer game doesn't replace a board game because there's yeah. a physicality and a shared uh, a shared being in the same room together which it might be that if you had three people even if they're all with VR headsets they may not enjoy that experience you know it but may what not drives be as good people as but what drives people and what excites people about VR is the possibility possibility one day that you might or you could uh, with those sensory things i think uh chris yeah. Yeah, well, I think just sort of reflecting on a few things, really. What One is that I think um, uh, Pete, Peter's actually kind of convinced me a little bit that there may be a place for um, VR in storytelling because that interpretive element that that is sort of devolved to the audience, reader, so on, that I, I think there is a place for that because, you know, novel, one of the great art, uh, you know, arts of a novelist is creating the space for the reader to interpret what they think is going on. So giving them the opportunity in their head to imagine things or see things that another user isn't, isn't seeing. Likewise, live performance, you know, you think about live comedy and, uh, you know, heckling and then responses and that, you know, pantomime is obviously an interactive type of uh, show that you go to. So th those, those little, um, sort of interactivities around the edges i think vr could play a play a role in and obviously there are technologies coming down the line there that look like they're going to be pretty crap for some time like haptics and so on that will give you some other sensory uh um, experience within virtual reality but coming coming back to technology more more broadly uh and you know where we are there's there's obviously the well uh, founded and in places dismissed idea of the hype cycle, you know, of, of, of technologies in, in at the point of trigger and then, you know, inflated expectations and the trough of dis disillusionment and so on and so forth. And whether or not that that holds and is empirically backed up is another question. But, you know, what I'm interested in is how how does some technologies get on that 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 bandwagon of massively inflated expectations? Um what what is it that causes some technologies to get there and, and others uh, just kind of peter along in the background and suddenly are amazing? Um, talking of petering along and suddenly amazing, Peter, um, <laughs> you, you wanted to say something. Uh, thanks. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Just just to answer Chris's early 
come back on Chris's earlier point about was it the stuff on the internet being great and amazing that drove broadband or was it broadband that drove the stuff on the internet being amazing? I think it's kind of more, it's not that black and white. I think it's more iterative. So as more people could connect to the internet reliably, it, cre- it created demand for new amazing things to be created on the internet, but also more people connect to the internet who could build their own things, which then attracted more people to it. So it's, it's, it's a sort of cycle of supply and demand rather than one thing driving the other. Um, it's not, yeah, I think it's because it, it, it's year on year, your broadband speed has got better and better and better. And year on year, more services have appeared. And it's not one thing driving the other. It's both things driving each other. Okay, we're close to winding up. And um, there's a question I want to ask. But before we do, um, just, just to round things off, um, is there anything we've not quite covered? Anything we want to circle back on? Uh, Peter, I think? Well, Chris, Chris raised an interesting issue. Why do some things get swept up on the hype cycle and uh, escalated with huge um, promise possibilities where other things don't so much. Uh, I, I think if you're comparing things like VR to say like the, um, the, the the smartphone, the smartphone feels more mundane. It feels like a fairly, uh, it, feels a fa- it feels like an evolution of an existing thing we already had, which was the not smart mobile phone, which was again an evolution of something which was um, uh, the 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 the, te- the house telephone, the wired telephone. Now, the jump from wired to not wired seems more more exciting to me than the jump from smart from stupid to smart. But they, they they're quite sort of everyday items, and they, they we had them around for a bit. Whereas VR is feels like a whole new thing. It's a whole new. It's similar to TVs, but it's like a TV that you put on your head. It, it's 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 much more kind of out there than um than than the tv so i i mean what what i'm grappling towards i suppose is that i think the hype cycle although it leaves you feeling very disappointed when things are sliding down into the trough of disillusionment i think it kind of there's something in it if if somebody if if the higher the peak that goes the more ideas people are having about what cool things they could do with the technology that i think speaks to some kind of core um, value in the technology itself that it's excited so many people and it's stimulating so many ideas now the fact that most ideas don't come to fruition or take a very long time to come to fruition um, is by the by I think the fact that the, it has a, having a high peak is not a bad thing about the technology in fact I think it's a, it's a positive indicator that technology has such potential uh, yeah. for, for transformation yeah, yeah, and I guess it must necessarily be the case that with a new technology, you don't you don't know the answer, and that you know it's good to have a to have a, a really good go at it. I mean, I remember as a kid, it was holograms. Do you remember holograms? Yeah. they were massive in the mid eighties. They came out. There was science museum exhibitions that I went to. You know, there, people got holograms on their credit cards, and people were like, "Well, this is just the start, right? Imagine what holograms we're going to have holograms everywhere." You know, we'll, we'll, we'll have portable holograms. It'll be just like Star Wars. You'll have a little mini princess layer and everything. And they never, nothing ever happened. All they, they just remained interesting novelties. But for a while, I assume people were trying everything they could with yeah. holograms. Although you can yeah. go and see um, uh, dead um, uh, performers now performing in holo- holographic form uh, on, on stage. I don't, I think you, I, don't, I doubt they're holograms. They are holograms, 3D holograms. <clears throat> okay. Um, Look at that. 
I will. There's, a company, there's a company that specialise specialise in um, uh, in Corn entertainment and having you know, uh, well, not Michael Jackson anymore, obviously for for, for, for various reasons, but Conference other other theory. other late performers who are less controversial. Um, okay, all right. Um, I want to finish off, but to finish it off, I got quite an obvious question to ask you all, um, which is, but also in a slightly. I never got a chance like... to tell you about my crap technologies. Oh, I really want to hear that. And it's actually very close to what I want to to say. Come on, give us do, do us a, give us a quick yeah. And no, I just tried to I tried, I tried not very well. I've come to the conclusion that there's an Anna Karenina principle to do with technology failures, which is that you know a technology works. Technologies that work do so for because they combine a whole bunch of things all at the same time. But when they when they don't work, it's for different reasons. But mm. I haven't really come up with a very satisfactory taxonomy of failure. But some of them um, are. I mean, one very common. Uh, element of technology failure is simply like literally failure rate the technology is not good enough and the, the products fail and that's mm. true of like the delorean um hoverboards uh the blackberry storm you know quite a lot of technology failures are because they just didn't work very well um and alongside that they're actually just low quality like they're not as good as the thing as, as they should be so things like the um kodak disc camera and stuff where the the pictures were just really bad and and mm. um so there's that there's just it's bad it's it fails or it's or it's low quality there's an, and then there's a whole category so there's there's a bad idea right where it turns out that even if the product is working really well, people don't want it. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, that there's not a price that people would buy it at. They won't use it. It's not, it's just a bad thing. And there were things like, uh, I would say um, the, um, like th there was a thing, uh, I can't remember what it was called, but which was like a pair of sunglasses with a built-in MP3 player. And you think, mm. well, that's worse. That's worse than a sun than sunglasses and an MP3 player. Because sometimes you want the sunglasses and not the MP3 player, and vice versa. And then there's um, uh, a thing called the QCAT barcode scanner, uh, where you had to scan a barcode in a magazine, and it would send you to a website, and the website would have interesting stuff in it. But you'd have to buy the barcode scanner, and that's a bit like QR codes. You know, it's one of these things where actually it's just worse. It's worse than what the system we have now. Like all the QR, all the QR code does is direct you to a website. So you might as well just Google it, and then you don't have to download something and fart about with your phone. Um, and um, then there's a whole a category categories of technology which are like before their time, and I think we touched on that a bit. But um, so things like the Sony uh, NWH HD One audio player, which was apparently a really good MP3 player, but uh, it just didn't have a big enough storage at the time um, to for people to really have enough music on it to make it worthwhile. Um, and Maxwell House's coffee in a box. You know, you can get iced coffee now in shops. You've seen that the iced coffee frappuccino. You've seen that. Mm. You've seen seen iced coffee. Well, uh, they brought it out about 20 years ago, I think. And um, but they told they, they they sold it in cartons in fridges for people to take home and heat up at home. <laughs> They didn't sell it as iced coffee because people didn't know about that at the time. People didn't. It wasn't a thing. Um, and then there's technologies which come out which are after their time, like which are really, really good versions of technologies that are just going obsolete, like uh, the digital audio tapes, for example, which came out when when tapes were were sort of already yesterday's news. But there's then then there's a whole bunch of price related ones like LaserDisc and Google Glass, I think to some extent, and the Aibo robot dog, where they were just not worth you know the cost that they could be produced at. But the, for me, they're kind of interesting category where all the kind of really amusing technology failures are it where you get a kind of palaver where, where it turns out the thing that you buy has an unexpected amount of palaver to it and um 
And uh, I, I mean, the, so things like the Evian water bra. What? That's right, the Evian water bra. It was a bra that you poured water into and it kept your boobs cool, apparently. That's what well, I've that's been a bit of a plot. I need one of those. Do you remember Juicero? Do you remember the Juicero? Basically, it's like this machine that compre- that you 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 bought this machine for about four hundred dollars, and then you bought a bag of fruit, and you put the fruit into the machine, and the machine would squash the fruit, and the juice would come out. Um, now sounds you, like a juicer to me. Yeah, it's a juicer, but but it yeah, it's a highly. It Highly evolved juicer. It was that's all it was. It wasn't it, very it good. Was bit, it was a kind of, as a sort of business model. It was a sort of engineered scam, really, because you buy an expensive machine and then lock, be locked into buying the juicero bags, which cost a lot. So it was sort of yeah, it was it was it, it was, uh, it was a, a, cheek, a cheeky punt at trying to corner a market for when, when juices were a big thing. And then there's uh, and then there's then there's a bunch of things where you think what they thinking. You like the Cheetos flavor lip balm. Uh, the yogurt shampoo, which was a thing in 1979, where they brought out shampoo with yogurt in, which apparently didn't appeal to people. Um, Bic, you've heard of Bic. Right. They're responsible for quite a lot of these. Bic, yeah. They brought out disposable underwear. Oh. For some reason, that wasn't popular. And and um, they brought out special for her pens, which were widely... Yeah, it's women's pens. It was just sort of pink and purple. So anyway, yeah, uh, I don't think so. I don't I'm not satisfied. All I can say really is that when a technology fails, it's usually nearly always either because it's it's doesn't work uh, as it's meant to or because it turns out that people don't want it for a reason that people hadn't anticipated. That's it, really. Okay. um, well, look, that was that was really interesting. I wish we could go on and on. and uh, yeah, so look, we'll, we'll, we'll stop there. So thank you, as always, for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I'm Fraser McGrath. We've been here with Chris Ragg, Peter Cockhill, and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights. Thank you, as always. And until next time, goodbye.